0: So God created humankind in God's image. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This is how the story of humanity begins in the Bible. After controlling the chaotic waters, separating land from sea and creating the sun, moon, and stars, after making plants and fish and birds and bugs and reptiles and mammals and every other living thing, God creates humans. God's work of creation is, in the words of Walter Brueggemann, a liturgy of abundance. Everything in its kind is to multiply the overflowing goodness that pours from God's Creator Spirit. God's plan for us was that we would repeat that liturgy. As God's image bearers, we were created to multiply the already overflowing goodness of God. We were created to live in sacred relationship with the plants and fish birds, and bugs, and reptiles, and mammals, and every other living thing. We were created for abundance. Abundance was the plan. Pharaoh, on the other hand, Pharaoh has different plans. When a famine strikes the land in Genesis chapter 47, Pharaoh sees an opportunity to gain power. People from all across Egypt and beyond sell their livestock to Pharaoh in exchange for the grain in his storehouses. When there are no more cows to sell, they sell their land. When there's no more land to sell, they sell their bodies. Pharaoh orders his new slave labor force, which includes the Hebrews, God's chosen people, to extract Egypt's natural resources and build cities to house his new hordes of wealth. But as the author of Exodus writes, the more the Hebrews were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. God has written abundance into the fabric of creation and it yearns to press through, even in the midst of oppression. But in the world Pharaoh seeks to create, abundance is not a gift. Abundance is a threat. So when the famine relents, Pharaoh must unravel abundance and weave scarcity in its place. He increases expectations for productivity while simultaneously giving the Hebrews fewer supplies for making bricks. He appoints labor masters from among the enslaved Hebrews, hoping to turn them against themselves. He even goes so far as to sanction genocide, ordering midwives to kill baby Hebrew boys as soon as they are born. The Pharaoh. Is undoing the liturgy of abundance God began with creation. So, how does one stop Pharaoh? What happens when humans unravel God's plans for justice? That question has been pressing on my mind lately. Each day, as briefings from the war in Israel and Gaza land in my inbox, Images of shattered buildings and bodies fill my social media feed. I am reminded that Pharaoh is alive and well today. A few in recent memory have spoken to this reality more poignantly than Martin Luther King Jr. And in his sermon, The Death of Evil Upon the Seashore, delivered in 1956, he said this, we need not stop with the glaring examples of the Bible to establish the reality of evil. We need only to look out into the wide arena of everyday life. We have seen evil in tragic lust and inordinate selfishness. We have seen it in high places where men are willing to sacrifice truth on the altars of their self-interest. We have seen it in imperialistic nations trampling over other nations with the iron feet of oppression we have seen it clothed in the garments of calamitous wars which left battlefields painted with blood, filled nations with widows and orphans, and sent men home psychologically and physically handicapped. We have seen evil in all of its tragic dimensions. What we are watching right now is an unravel. No less evil or unjust than what Pharaoh did in Egypt. And so, once again, we ask, how does God respond to Pharaoh? What does God do when humans unravel God's plans for justice? Let's turn back to the text for some answers. So in Exodus chapter 4, God meets a Hebrew named Moses in the desert. and calls him and his older brother Aaron to lead the (laughs) Hebrews out of Egypt. But when Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh for the first time, they realize that Pharaoh's heart is so hard that he does not even understand what he is doing to Egypt. Pharaoh thinks his regime of enforced scarcity is actually bringing order. So if he just Presses hard enough and keeps pressing, he can crush any hint of revolutionary spirit and ensure that evil, people, that Egypt continues to accumulate wealth, power, and people. What he cannot see is that his brutal and extractive regime will destroy Egypt and everything around it not through the decimation of natural resources, then surely through war with the peoples he has enslaved. Pharaoh is what Terence Greitham calls an anti- creational force, pushing the world back toward the chaos that existed before creation. So for the sake of Egypt and for all of God's creation, Pharaoh must be stopped. God does not want to destroy Pharaoh. God does not want to destroy Egypt. God wants to redeem Pharaoh, to redeem Egypt. God wants the liturgy of abundance to start again. God is even willing for Pharaoh to participate. But a world where Pharaoh continues unchecked is a world where where creation itself is unraveled and chaos reigns once again. It is a world where rivers turn to blood, where the sacred relationship between humans and the rest of the created order is shattered beyond repair. What Pharaoh needs is a mirror, one that will show him. Not who he thinks he is, but who he actually is. And so that is what God gives him. On the banks of the Nile, God shows Pharaoh the future he cannot or will not see. God turns the river into blood. And in doing so, God holds a mirror up to Pharaoh and his unchecked consumption and aggression. God says to Pharaoh, do you see this? This this river of blood is what you are doing. This is where we are heading. Please stop. One scholar named Greg Boyd calls this strategy divine Aikido. Aikido is a Japanese martial art, and in Aikido, one learns to absorb, reflect, and redirect the energy of your opponent's attack. The goal of Aikido is not to conquer your opponent, but rather, in Boyd's words, is to turn the force of aggressors back on themselves in order to neutralize them, and hopefully enlighten them regarding the evil in their heart that fueled their aggression. And so with each plague, God reflects Pharaoh's deeds back to him, showing him exactly what he is doing to the world God has created. And sadly, Pharaoh does not listen to this plague or any of the others. And in the end, the chaos Pharaoh was courting ends up swallowing him and his army whole. As they drown in the Red Sea. But even after the events of Exodus, God continues to use this strategy of divine idea. God is so committed to it that God takes on flesh to show us how it works through Jesus. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples that the way to resist injustice is to respond in love. He says, you have heard heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow you." On the night Jesus was betrayed, when one of the disciples reacts to the oncoming soldiers with the force, Jesus not only rebukes the disciples, but then reaches out and heals the man who was wounded. And Even as he is dying on the cross, He begs God to forgive the men who are executing him. This is how God confronts evil. This is what God does when humans unravel God's plans for justice. God steps right into the mix to absorb, reflect, and redirect. God responds in love. Always oh, seeking to invite us into God's liturgy of abundance. And in every struggle against every Egypt, God is raising up people who will relentlessly repeat that liturgy. Some of you may have seen a video of this woman that you'll we'll see on the screen: 85-year-old Joachim Lipschitz one of the first hostages released by Hamas. In the footage taken of her release as she's being handed over to medical personnel, she turns back to one of her captors, grabs the hand which was resting on his gun, looks him in the eyes and says, Shalom, peace. Salam, peace. She wishes him peace in Hebrew and in Arabic, in her tongue and in his. Since that day, we've learned that Lishitz and her husband spent decades ferrying Palestinians from Gaza into Israel for medical treatment. So what was captured on camera in that moment was birthed from a lifetime of peacemaking, from a relentless commitment to God's liturgy of abundance she is not alone. Even now, as bombs rain and bullets fly, thousands of Israelis and Palestinians are joining together in that liturgy, using creative nonviolence to call for a ceasefire and an end to occupation. Solidarity movements in the United States and around the world are doing the same. There are those who would say that the only way out of this is the destruction of the other. There are some forms of evil and justice that are too entrenched, too complex, too nuanced to be overcome without bloodshed. But that, my friends, is a myth is the same myth that led to Pharaoh's demise in the depths of the Red Sea. We can tell a different story, one that is rooted in God's liturgy of abundance. But to do so, we must live with the conviction that as King says, all reality hinges on moral foundations and that the whole cosmic universe has a spiritual control that a prejudiced mind can be changed, and that humanity, by the grace of God, can be lifted from the valley of hate to the high mountain of love. There are many ways to live out that conviction. Contacting the representatives and urging them to call for a ceasefire. Participating in protests and direct action sharing information and combating disinformation, praying, reaching out to Jewish, Muslim, Israeli and Palestinian friends and peers. We all have a role to play in the struggle against Pharaoh. And your role may not be the same as mine or the person sitting next to you, but you have one and it matters. And so I pray, to quote the King one last time, that we would all gain the vision and the will to be God's co-workers in the liturgy of abundance.